Welcome to this week's Hong Kong Heritage, where I get to chat with a real Hong Kong legend, singer Teresa Carpio from her home in Toronto. Teresa Carpio, for many, will need no introduction, but here's a few crib notes. She was born in 1956 and began her career as a child star, winning Hong Kong's first amateur talent quest in 1963 at the age of six. She had her first job in Tahiti, at the age of 11, she's a part of the talented musician family, the Carpios. So she's the cousin of fellow singer Rita Carpio, the niece of Tony Carpio and daughter of drummer Fernando Carpio and the granddaughter of concert violinist and jazz guitarist Fred Carpio, to name a few. Teresa Carpio sings in multiple languages, teaches and is also an actress. She's the mother of three daughters, including actress and singer TV Carpio. And many of you will have seen her concerts, including with fellow singer George Lamb. Having started as a child star, by the time it came to the early 1990s, Teresa Carpio needed a break, which is where we start our chat. I left in 92 because I was burnt out and I wanted to live a very simple life. So I moved, we moved to middle of nowhere ah. <laughs> at Springfield, Missouri. And we had two girls and as you say, you left in 92, went to Springfield, Missouri. So prior to 92, the burnout was just too much of everything in terms of gigs and well i had a, a failed marriage and i had um how do you say you know when something happens to you personally it affects everything and so my voice was not doing well even though i was okay uh i was teaching more but i got really bored and i was very unwell you know mentally physically spiritually and so just leaving Hong Kong was like a huge sigh of relief. <laughs> I can laugh about it now, but then I thought I was going to die. Yeah. So, but, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm really thankful for everything that's happened since then, you know. So Springfield provided lots of nature around you? Well, it provided a faith, I think, faith. Uh, I became a Christian, but also the fact that I actually became a person a a woman a mother a wife um somebody and then at the same time a nobody because you know nobody recognized me there and it was just great <laughs> <laughs> did you miss the singing no i sang a lot there i i uh i sang a lot in church i sang a lot to my little kids i think and we had fun i had really lots of fun being a mother and a wife Oh, yes, absolutely. But w with your singing, I mean, you would have started off. Um, so is it always a part of you? Yeah, I 
that's the only thing I knew. Yeah. I started working at the age of 11 in Hong Kong. There were no child labor laws at that time. I mean, everyone was working. And just went in and did it. I just worked and I sang. And yeah, I was just thinking about it. Someone asked me, how did I feel about working so early in my life? And I said, it was it was just very natural because I have to help my family, put food on the table and... You know, it's a responsibility, and so I was a very obedient child. And so it was fun. Every night was a party. (laughs) So how did you know, you know, how did you recognize within yourself? I mean, not everybody's a singer, obviously. So how did did you just sing willingly at home? Was it something that you needed to do? Well, it was definitely, uh, definitely from my father. You know, all I can remember is that my grandfather was the... The best jazz guitarist, you know, concert violinist. He was the concert master in the Philharmonic. And he was like the banjo player, you know, drummer, piano. He taught so many, many people I've met on and they've learned from my grandfather. And then my father was also very talented. He, he, you know, played jazz, but he also sang and played the drums. And then, of course, with my uncle Tony, you know, the, the, the very funny thing, actually, for my father, it wasn't very funny, but... Everyone thought Tony was my father. <laughs> no, I mean, this is the interesting thing is that you sort of, you see these families like, you know, as you say, your the grandfather and the great uncle, Tom and Fred, and you sort of presume that this entire family is, is all kind of part of one entity and you're not at all. You're all these separate talents. I guess I was the first female in our family and... Uh, there was always this, uh, if I can remember, I mean, it was, it was so long ago, but I can always remember when I won the first amateur talent quest in Hong Kong back in 1963. I think you're not born yet, right? <laughs> 69. <yeah. laughs> um, oh, okay. That's only a few years later. I was six and a half. And when I won that competition, I sort of like got promoted to a certain status thing with my grandfather my uncle my dad you know Mm. it it was just something that you felt as a child I mean I didn't really think much about it but later on I felt it I remembered that I said oh now my grandfather's smiling at me and my dad's (laughs) really happy and you know I get this all this uh, applause and whenever I performed but it, not in school school was kind of I, I studied in Portuguese school in Hong Kong so it was not it was not looked as a as a good thing being a singer even though I, I knew that my teachers and my my headmistress went to see the competition but when you're in school you're just the same as everybody else which school was that then the Portuguese Escola Camões Community School. Have you heard of it? No, I'll look it up. Uh huh. It's no longer there. It was. It was at the Cox's Road where the Norwegian consulate used to be. Right. And uh, yeah, it was a very, very international. It was an international school, but uh, back then it was only partly supported by the government. And a small school, but we were. Yeah, I. I grew up not thinking that we're either Chinese or we just thought that we we are Hong Kong. We were just Hong Kong. No division at all. And when you went to that talent contest, do you remember what you sang? Yes, I sang... Uh, the first song I sang was Babyface. 
<laughs> and and then when I won, the encore to do uh, another song was Teacher's Pet. All right. <laughs> By Doris Day. Did your, did your headmistress enjoy that one? Yeah, I think so. I, I don't remember talking to her about it, but uh, I, later on, many years later, I found out that they were all there watching. Yeah, because it was a pretty big deal back then, you know. It's the first amateur talent quest. When, as a child, I mean, coming from, I'm, I'm also very interested in, I mean, obviously you're surrounded by musicians. Now that could work both ways, that, that you could say, right, okay, um, this isn't for me at all. I want to do something entirely separate. Or I think there's probably something to be said for a bit of nurture going on, that you, you've got this kind of music around you. Would you agree? Uh, back then, you know, being so young, I really didn't have any inkling of what's going on. I just knew if my dad told me to sing, I'd go and sing. And that whole thing just came very naturally. I mean, I had no training whatsoever. Not like every person, like my cousins, everyone knew how to play piano or they played different instruments. I never had any. I mean, I was given some, but the, the thing that really helped me was that somewhere along those years, I don't know how and when, it triggered me to have a photographic memory. So any song, anything that you put in front of me, I look at it once and I know exactly what to do. That's incredible. I remembered everything. I know. I, mean, I don't have it now, but uh, my memory is not too bad. <laughs> <laughs> so did you ever conventionally learn to read music? No, but I was forced to write arrangements. I mean, I picked it up by looking at manuscripts and say, my dad says, oh, this is the note. So, and then this for the alto or trombone, there are one and a half notes up, one and a half notes down, and one for trumpet and tenor is one note up. So I remembered everything he said, and then I just wrote out the arrangements by ear. That's extraordinary. I know. I, my, my sister reminded me that she used to watch me just write all my own songs, my arrangements, and I go like, what? I did? <laughs> you know, my first job, actually, when I was 11, was in Tahiti. Oh. And my father was there with his band, and I was working in another place. There's only two places, one hotel and one bar, and I was at the bar. But the bar, when I was performing, did not allow any alcohol at the bar, and all the kids came to watch me. And I was doing like, I sang in Chinese, Japanese, Tagalog, Filipino, um, French, Tahitian, uh, Spanish, English, whatever was put to me and I sang. So maybe at that time I grew with this training of being able to just click in there. Do you think also, I mean, you are a Hong Konger absolute, but yes. um, do you think the Filipino heritage, I, I don't want to make too many wide ranging statements, but I mean, in fact, music is a phenomenal export. When you look at Hong Kong, the number of musicians that have always really been the backbone of the music industry in Hong Kong. Do you think, you know, that that had an influence on, on how you developed? Definitely, you know, growing up in Hong Kong and working with all these amazing, the cream of the crop, Filipino musicians, I mean, I benefited so much from that era of, you know, even with all the music from everywhere. I mean, especially America, you know, with the jazz. And I didn't do jazz, but I did pop. But that was not my, I became a middle of the road cover queen. <laughs> I can say <laughs> that. But I appreciate it and I'm so grateful for that training. 
because I got I really had so much opportunities to work with everyone, almost everyone in everywhere that I've been to, uh, and ninety nine percent of them were really good musicians. I think 50s, 60s um, and into 70s from what I've heard in terms of the big bands, in terms of, well, even the, the, also the pop industry in Hong Kong, it really was a great time to be around for music. Oh, yes, definitely. I mean, the training from being in television but the, and TVB, but the training was working with everyone. You know, there is no... How do you say there there were no words of you can't or it's too hard or I'm too tired you know there there you don't hear that you, it was very tough but I guess my father really trained me well because I didn't have any friends I didn't mingle I didn't socialize so everything I did was just singing why didn't you socialize so the, my father always said to me do the job and just get home because, you know, when there's a lot of, I mean, later on when I grew up as an adult, I I see that when people gossip a lot, it, it takes away that energy and spirit mm. from from your music. You know, being a little bit more on the innocent side of it and purity side, I think that's how I became, uh, when I listen back to myself, I'm talking about, you know, during my teen years recording with EMI and I, I had that clarity. I had the clarity of being able to do what I did with so much power because I had nothing else to take away that. Can you tell me a little bit about your father? My father is uh, very charismatic. He's very handsome. He's, he was very, actually, he's a very smart man. You know, he, he really has so much patience. He, he taught a lot of people drums, playing the jazz drums. And, but it, the, the only thing I think think he never did was to put himself out there like I mean he performed really well he sang really well but I think he left that for me <laughs> you know uh -huh. and uh, yeah he's, he's fun and you know I remember during that time in Hong Kong because I had to to sing in different clubs every night can you name some uh, of them? I'd be at the I'd be at the Hyatt Chin Chin Bar, and then I'd be at the Gesekai, at the Peking Road area. All these clubs were there. The, the Gesekai, Dan Shaku, Golden Bottle. Yeah, a lot of these Japanese uh, clubs I was singing at. And then I was at the Chin Chin Bar. And so once I come out of every club, there were so many musicians just standing there chatting, drinking, laughing, the whole of Hong Kong was like full of joy. It's an interesting time to be here. Yeah. And that yeah. whole Peking Road, as you say, I mean, it's interesting also, you know, I've been talking to a couple of people and they've been saying, you know, depending on the era, of course, you would have had the Hilton Hotel then. You've also got this whole time when everybody's around the bayside in the base of the Chongqing mansions. And, and you're yes. saying about these, and, and very interesting, this domination in a way of, of these Japanese clubs as well. Yes. I think that uh, we had a huge population of the Japanese businessmen and I had just, when I worked in these clubs, I had just returned from Japan. I did a one-year gig and I, uh, it was the first time I recorded there in Japanese. But I, I didn't think that kind of a career or lifestyle fitted me, even though I was very young, 13, 14. But I came back because I wanted to sing every song I could sing even though the clubs, you know, they always request the same songs <laughs> five times a night. But it was fun. It was fun. 
And also, my dad used to work at the Hilton Eagle's Nest, and uh, it was exciting to be at the Hilton. I I never worked there. My sister did. My sister had her own band, uh, Chering Carpio. She she was there with the band. Yeah, it was fun. When you, as a child, I mean, you, you really get propelled out early, as you say, you're, you're 11, 12 years old. Um, how would you have described your character? Because it's, it's interesting, I have a, a young goddaughter, well, she's about 25 now, and um, now she was quite shy about, well, chronically shy about going on stage, but she had just this drive that she had to sing. And she's a, she's very good. Um, how would you have said when you, when you were young, did you have to say, were you naturally confident? Did you become someone else on stage? Hmm. That's an interesting question. I mean, I think all artists are usually, uh, generally quite shy. But when it comes to the stage, this is from later on that I come to realize is that we own the stage. So no one can tell us what to do. And so that's a freedom. It's very freeing being on stage. But when I was young, I didn't think much. I really, I'm not that smart. I don't really <laughs> think much. You know, I just go and do what I need to do <laughs> the best I can. And I guess that built me up to become very strong. I mean, at any time that anyone asked me to do something for, for music, I, I said, yeah, sure. When you were, you know, obviously as a young person, you're trying different things out or you're being told, you know, as you say, you're being told to go out and sing and sing this or the, the requests are coming in. So it's also very commercially driven. When do you find your mm -hmm. own voice in terms of deciding what you would like to sing? Well, I guess from very young, uh, as I was working for maybe a few years on, I, I think I've already gained a sense of what sort of an arrangement I'd like for certain songs. I, I never liked to copy. I mean, I would listen to a song if they said, oh, uh, this song is now popular. But because I was the youngest in those clubs, I, I never really had top priority to do all these popular songs. So I'm given all the odd songs and unpopular songs to do. And only when all the popular songs, you know, were done with that I would come back and do them, but I would do them in a different way. Describe. Well, let's say, of course, you know, there's other references that I would listen to and I hear, oh, say, I said, oh, this beat is pretty good and why don't I add it to this song? Oh, for instance, do you know what kind of fool am I? Yes. And then uh, who can I turn to? <laughs> who can I turn to? I would do a medley between these two. But then, you know, there'll be nobody in the club that I could do these songs. You know, they would they would say, oh, don't don't sing those songs if there's a lot of people. You need to sing Beautiful Sunday like five times a night mm. or, <laughs> or Feelings, or, you yeah. know. Feelings Nothing more than feelings Trying to forget my feelings of love down 
and and feelings like songs like that, I wouldn't do the like the original way. I would try to. I I don't sing on time.、Uh, how do you say? I I treat each song as a story. Yes. So so I don't do it like normal. Like oh, remember the song "Let It Be Me." God bless the day I found you. Uh, that one was by Dakota Staten. That version.、Oh, And can, can you give me a bit I, more? <laughs> okay.、Oh, I forgot. I want to stay around you. I'm not a piano player either. <laughs> mm-hmm. Let it be me. See, I don't get a chance to sing blues. I don't get a chance to sing what I like to sing, because I became a middle of the road pop singer. <laughs> But just... I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It re- I'm re- I really am very grateful for everything that's happened to me. But I'd like to sing、uh, more challenging songs, you know, like、uh, Stevie Wonder's "All Is Fair in Love." And nobody would. Nobody would think I w- I should do that song, you know. Just backtracking, when I was in Hong Kong last year in October, I was there for Uncle Ray's tribute concert, right? Oh yes. And、uh, I could have returned with Andreas to come back to Toronto in January, but I decided to stay until July because I wanted to. I've never been. I never lived alone on my own ever, ever. So I decided I'll try to live alone and see what I can do. And I did a lot of teaching, but the main thing was that I wanted to go live on IG, Instagram, and、uh, use it as my practice room, live with no preparation, you know, and sing songs. I mean, I have not. I only realized back then that I did not sing a lot of songs in the last forty years because I was singing the same old, same old. Every show that I did was popular songs that the audience loves. But I try to do, you know, different arrangements, you know, and and also give joy to my family and and record, have this recorded videos to pass on to my kids and to my grandkids. That's what I did. <laughs> yeah, but also, yeah, as you say, it's it's what Teresa Carpio wants to do, and not necessarily dictated by other aspects or commercial or what the, you know. I think that's also very important. I mean, particularly since you've been in the business for so long. Yeah. How you doing? I'm on the way.
And, and it's really funny because back then being a cover singer is really like about down the ladder at the lowest, you know. And now they're doing so many covers. It's like the, the in thing to do covers. <laughs> yes, yes. No, but I mean, the 60s was amazing for that. But what I find interesting with you, I mean, you'd have grown up in going to this Portuguese school. So presumably speaking English at the school? Only English. And, yeah. And, you know, I can still remember the Portuguese anthem. That you had to sing at school? Every day. <laughs> we got a catechism next door in St. Mary's every Friday. It's very boring, but we go there. Um, but the prayer thing, I didn't mind it too much, you know. It's, it's a Catholic school. Yes, yes. We had the you know the Portuguese there, the the Norwegians were there, the English, French, Nigerian, uh, mm. Filipino, Chinese, just there so many of us. You know, it's just amazing. Oh, one a sort of superb international start for you, really, in life. You know, yeah. knowing all these different yes, nationalities. Right. But what I find interesting also is that you start off in a Portuguese school. Um, you'd have taught. What did you actually talk at home? <laughs> we don't really talk. <laughs> my mother is from Shanghai, and both my mother and my father were like, sort of like just right after the war, and my mother was an illegal immigrant. Yeah, was your Sorry. father Fernando in, in Shanghai? No, Fernando actually was my grandfather's original name, if I remember right. And because he was in Shanghai and also playing on the ships for the Americans, he had to change it from Fernando to Fred. But my father was given the name Fernando Carpio Jr. And then my brother was given Fred Carpio Jr. <laughs> Is there a background to Teresa? To me? As in, are you named uh, for somebody else within your family? Oh, oh, no, no, no. I was born in St. Teresa's Hospital. Ah. And one time I was back there when I was 21 and my mother was come, came to visit me. I was a, a very minor surgery and uh, a mother superior came into the room and said, I remember you talking to my mother. So I was actually delivered by the mother superior and she gave me the name Teresa. Wait, wait, wait. Are you in a rush right now? No. Don't take this heaven from us if you must cling to someone now and forever. Let it be. a moment to treasure Teresa Carpio singing from her studio in Toronto for Hong Kong Heritage. She's released 25 albums including six live recordings and I think having the ability to simply sing live on Instagram says it all. Thanks for listening and join me next week on Hong Kong Heritage. <laughs>